My name is Maya Stein, and I'm going to be reading a short 10-line poem from my 10-line Tuesday practice that I've been keeping for about 15, no, 16 years now. The poem is called Spreadsheet. The reckoning, we call it, gathering the scatter of receipts tucked between birthday cards and books of stamps and supermarket circulars, tallying the numbers and hoping the math is right, that there'll be a semblance of balance in the end. But what column to put each escape to the water's edge to gather our courage or come undone? What category to assign our tracks at the foot of the garden beds, pulling at each weed, knowing it will only keep returning? I cannot tell anymore between additions and subtractions, the calculator, growing blurry. The electric bill comes and we are glad for the surplus to pay it, but so many days our abundance escapes us. All this air at the ready, all this love we fling in a thousand directions, never once counting how much we have left. Once in a while, someone reaches out, and I know it's a yes right away. I don't always know why, but when I respond from instinct, I'm usually rewarded with a great conversation. Today on PoetKind, I'm talking with Maya Stein, who you just heard reading Spreadsheet from her book, How We Are Not Alone. Maya is a poet, writer, mentor, and a founding editor at Toad Hall Editions, a new publishing venture. Let's dive in. Hi, Maya. Thank you so much for joining me today on Poet Kind Podcast. I'm excited to have you on. You are a new introduction to me, and I'm so excited to get to know you. You have, again, the first thing I'm going to talk about is your 10 Line Tuesday project. I just think that is one of the coolest things. And the fact that you've been doing it for so long has got to be uh, inspiring for a lot of folks. We'll start there and then we'll talk about your new book and your new project and Toad Hall Editions. We've got a lot of ground lot to cover to today. Cover. Well, Susan, it's wonderful to meet you and, and thanks for having me join you today. You know, I love talking about this 10 Line Tuesday practice because uh, when I meet with other writers or aspiring writers or anyone who's doing any kind of creative practice, I think one of the big challenges is how to to keep to keep meeting that practice to keep having um, a relationship with a creative practice and not and not falling down on it you know not not being not getting tired of it not feeling like it's really out of reach and that you know the, the bar is too high uh, and while the you know the dreams of our creative work are are expansive um, how do we have a you know how do we have a, a consistent meetable uh, deadline and 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 a sense of purpose and sense of success that's that doesn't depend on the the sort of final outcome of our you know the the, the bigger dreams and wishes that we might have for our work and I started um, the ten line Tuesday practice in two thousand and five June of two thousand five really with just the intent of um, trying it out for a year of having a ten line poem. I just made myself a restriction, you know, it was going to be a 10 line poem that I sent out to a 
email list, which I had not even developed yet at that point. I mean, I had, you know, friends and family and I thought, well, you know, I'd love to share more about, I thought, I just, I would love to share my work with the people in my life. And rather than sort of wait for a book to accumulate magically, um, what is a sort of regular consistent way that I can, that I can be connected to my writing practice and at the same time, make it more visible to the people in my life. And so um, I love, I love alliteration. So 10 line Tuesday was born. And I think that, you know, the intention there was to really set the bar pretty low, you know, 10 lines every week. Um, that's doable. I mean, it's not right. the 1500 words a day that a lot of people think, um, you know, they associate with having a being a writer, you know, say, oh, you sit down and you write 1500 words a day. But if it's 10 lines a week, it just seems like, oh, well, that's, that's no big deal. And, you know, some weeks it's a very big deal to even just gather my thoughts for 10 lines. Um, but each week is very different. And I've found over the years that having this restriction of 10 lines has actually made the variety of work that much um, more expansive, you know, that within that restriction, I'm, tr I'm just trying to push into the form as much as I can and the subject matter and, you know, the, I'm learning so much about my own, I, I, it's a, such a great editing practice too, of course, because normally with free verse or, you know, or, or any kind of other writing, expository writing, you know, you're not really limited by, by a line count. Um, sure. So it's helped me become such a better editor of my work in other ways, not just in this form and other writing that I do. So um, whenever I talk about, you know, with other people that are sort of either starting out or trying to maintain a relationship with their creative practice, I always say, well, you know, it's really good to set the bar low. And, and over time, you know, it accumulates the, the feeling, you know, that you begin to develop an archive of work that you don't even realize is happening, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's been, um, it's, I just passed the 16 year mark because now we're in the second week of June. I think I've missed three weeks, uh, three, three week, three poems, uh, three or four poems during that whole time, you know, various circumstances. I just couldn't get myself to the table. Um, but that's, that's about 835 poems or something. I haven't totally done the math, but you know, that's, that's a good chunk of, of work and it's a good, it's, it's really nice to be able to look back and return to some of these poems also and just see where they've gone. Well, and, and it's almost like a, a mini lifetime experience. You know, 16 years is a long time to be writing along the same, you know, to have the same process and to um, watch it grow and transform and evolve along the way. Uh, and not to mention to have a body of work that size, <laughs> you know, just because you were dedicated, you had the discipline to continue to do it. And that's, yeah, that's inspiring, at least to me. Thank you. I think, I mean, one of the, one of the discoveries I've made with find, landing on that particular form of, you know, sort of creating that form is 10 lines is really easy to read. Also, it's not, it's not only accessible as a writing practice, it's super accessible as a reading practice. And so for people that are, that, that in their mind have a relationship with poetry as being difficult, as being um, abstract and sort of convoluted or esoteric in some way, this practice really, shatters the myth of what poetry is and what it you know what it sounds like and what it looks like and i feel like 
Um, there's been a lot of poetry converts I've managed <laughs> to swing over my way because they don't realize that poetry can be like this and that they themselves have begun perhaps even to look at their own writing as poetry, you know, that maybe they didn't really even know that they could write poetry because of what their association with it was, you know, these sort of, you know, Wordsworth or, you know, Robert Frost or, you know, sort of these, you know, kind of like old dead white guys, you know, basically, yeah. to, you know, for them, poetry was like an, an, old, an old and dead form. And so one of my probably, you know, sort of underpinning this practice was a desire to change people's minds about, about what poetry could be. Sure. And, I've, and I feel like it's, I, I just keep doing it because I think there's more, there's more readers out there. There's more people that are, could be, um, not just, uh, n you know, not just approach these poems with more openness uh, in terms of, the, of their concept of poetry, but think about their own creative practice differently. Within that limited palette of 10 lines, do you play with form then? Do you, do you bounce around with, you know, poetic or prose poetry? Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, I would say, um, I would say there are definitely a stretch of time when I was doing more, I was kind of more interested in like the cleverness of rhyming, you know, and my, I think I've really let that go because I'm, I mean, I love to rhyme, but it's, it doesn't, it actually doesn't suit the poems I want to write. And the poems that are sort of asking to be written, I think are, they just come really more in a prose, in a prose form. And one of the things I've also <laughs> discovered is that some of these poems have made it into literary journals or online publications and things with, with, with print sometimes the size of a journal or a book um, doesn't work with the, ten, with the stretch of the 10 lines as I have them. And so one of the things I've had to let go of and really embrace is how these poems get chopped up, you know, they, depending sure. on the size of the space that they fit in normal, you know, in, in a print form. Um, and so I kind of write them with that in mind that they could be sort of shape-shifted um, I've, I've broken the, you know, I've created paragraphs, I've turned them into paragraphs, um, broken the lines in different places. It doesn't really, it actually ends up not mattering to me uh, where they, where they're broken up. Um, so I, I like, uh, you know, I'm not tied to sort of the, um, the poetics of it so much as, as the content. As, yeah, as the practice and just maintaining, maintaining that regular writing. I think someone just started mowing their lawn. <laughs> oh, well, that's okay. You know, for everyone who's listening, those are nature sounds in the background. Don't adjust your, <laughs> don't, don't adjust your headset. Not in your imagination. Uh, yeah. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong, but you also do offer services where people can work with you to improve their process, to open up their poetic exposure. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. I think, um, so I, I, you know, it's, I, I guess I label it as a writing mentorship on my website as just a way to kind of ground what the, what the relationship is. Um, I actually see it more as I'm just, I'm accompanying someone on their own writing practice, their own writing journey. And I think that we, we often need witnesses. We often need companions in our creative journeys, you know, that 
um, I've been very fortunate to kind of have sustained my practice uh, pretty much on my own without, but you know, that said, I've, I've had this email list that, you know, I have people that receive my poems each week. So in a way I have absolutely been accompanied in my practice just by having someone to send my writing to. And so I think that the, the bulk of the work I do is just being able to have conversations with people around what their what their blocks are what their blocks are and it could be not just writing blocks but confidence blocks um it could be just that they're they have too many choices you know now with social media and you know our online capabilities there's so many places that our work can go and sometimes that can be overwhelming and it's been important to me in my own work to really be in you know to be focused, you know, what is it? What what are the what are the avenues that actually work for me in terms of my own pacing, my you know the needs that I have? Do I need to be everywhere? I don't, and so a lot of it is uh, talking through with people about all the noise that's accompanying their creative practice. It could be that they um, someone told them, oh, I you know you should be writing a book, and so they feel this tremendous pressure to put together work that maybe isn't really speaking to them, but it's because they have a really, you know, someone said, oh, you've got a great story to tell. And yeah. so, so much is about, in a way, dismantling and rebuilding from a place of authenticity and uh, engagement, of true engagement, of heartful engagement that's not muddied or derailed by, by external factors. I think that, you know, when someone wants to, I, I don't know, I just, I feel strongly that this is like a lifelong practice. This is not just a writing practice, this is a life practice. And mm -hmm. so the, the moves that I make and the decisions that I make through my poetry and through my creative practice are either in concert with um, or their departures from my, my living practice, like the way I relate to people and the way I relate to the reality of my life, I want them to be in alignment with those things. I don't want them, I don't want my creative practice to be so out of, um, you know, off the track of what I, the way I am everywhere else. And so a lot of the writing mentorship um, work is about building better alliances between our creative work and our life work and you know the rest of our lives our families our you know sort of the everyday demands and how to how to work with within them to to really incorporate our our creative work more more deeply i i love that because it working as a poet a, really an artist in any form to do it in isolation you can become overwhelmed with like you said, all the noise that's out there, the pressure, the performance anxiety, but then also dealing with rejection, you know, and when you work in companionship with someone else, you recognize that it's all part of the process and it's not, there's nothing wrong with it. It's okay and just keep going. Yeah, I think that, you know, we can be enormous uh, cheerleaders for ourselves or really, uh, powerful critics. And I think that just to have another voice in the room to say, um, you know, and we're looking at both micro, you know, the micro 
things like lines of poetry or a, a particular, you know, essay that someone's working on that we do, you know, I work in a granular way as well. Yeah. And people, some, you know, often need that. They just need another set of eyes on a piece of, the, of writing that they're doing. Um, but it's beyond, it's really beyond that. It's, it, it is about having a kind of companionship and a witnessing. And so that it's, you're not creating in a vacuum and you can actually talk through, I mean, it's sort of a cross, I suppose it's a little, it's pretty therapeutic in some way because we yeah. were talk, we're talking through a lot of the, the old messages and the old practices and the old sort of, um, you know, the old voices that are, that are still after all these years, um, really inhibiting someone from moving, moving into their, their, into their intelligence and in their, into their strength as, as writers. So I, that's why I say, you know, the word dismantling, because I think a lot of it is just saying what, what has been true and, and, and being ready to get rid of it, you know, and, and, and work and work un, unburdened by it. I love that. And for all the listeners out here, I'm just sitting here nodding my head with everything she <laughs> says. Yeah. Well, the next thing, we'll just kind of move on a little bit. All the writing that you have done, you have obviously turned into a few books and you how many do you have under your belt now well i have two books of poetry i have um a couple of books of uh of creative nonfiction essays those actually came before the poetry okay because i was doing a lot of sort of you know personal memoir type writing um and then i have a couple of writing prompt booklets and a few years ago i put together a collection of grief writing um, following um, my dad passed away in, in 2017 and about a year and a half later, I, I really wanted to gather a collection of writing and also artwork and photography around grief, around loss. Mm. So I published that in 2019, it's called Grief Becomes You and have been actually leading grief writing workshops for a bit too, just helping people move through their grief experience through our writing practice. And then most recently did a total 180 spin and put, put out a book that um, I created during the pandemic. Actually, the first months of the pandemic, I started doing these uh, photo, I'm sorry, art recreations uh, using contemporary art as a jumpstart, uh, as, as inspiration. And I would recreate, I recreated the artwork um, with the help of my wife, Amy Tingle. And, uh, we put together a book of of these images uh, connected with the artists whose 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 artwork inspired these, and I wrote um, essays about the experience of entering these these artworks, which were sort of surprising uh, threads to my childhood and stories that I kind of had growing up and ways that I moved about in the world as a teenager and and beyond. Yeah, I have to say, I really, I love that I got a chance to put my eyes on the document uh, for that and saw the imagery. And I am, I have not finished reading all the essays, but I did peruse all the images, mostly because I'm a visual artist first mm -hmm. and a writer second. And so I was, you know, I'm, I was recognizing, recognizing some of these images that you were recreating. And it is, there was, there was such deep humor, but I also, 
I responded to these in a very different way, I think, mostly because I hadn't read all the essays. So I just started to take them as they came visually. And um, I was surprised by um, how evocative some of them were on a, on a different level, beyond the humor, beyond you know, the potential for, for satire and commentary, but it almost, it, it almost created a separate dialogue and I, I won't go down that path too far, but um, well, but I would love to hear more about that experience. Well, we might have to talk a little off mic then, because uh, <laughs> okay. uh, but it just it it created just some really interesting uh, questions within myself too. So that I I highly recommend that book, and that one is called The Poser. Mm -hmm. Is that yes. correct? The yeah, yeah, The Poser, and then the subtitle is Thirty Eight Portraits Reimagined. So it's 38 artists. I actually interviewed the artists as well. So there's um, there's some writing there from the artists about yeah. not just the painting, but their practice, their their time under, you know, pandemic restrictions, their sort of viewpoints on life. You know, there's also a kind of a range of responses from the artists about that. Um, and it was interesting to re to go back and and do the writing actually after all of the images had been done you know I wasn't writing alongside the the mm, recreation that's interesting so I did the recreations it was sort of an Instagram museum at home practice uh that was kind of going a little uh, you know the, that was sort of happening all over the world people were um you know staying home and recreating old paintings and things like that and I just I ticked it a little to, to a different direction with the with these contemporary works but it was a really wonderful practice kind of going back in and listening more deeply to maybe what that we, what you're speaking to is sort of having a much kind of more visceral, deep sort of body-centered response, like who she wanted to be, what she, you know, how she wanted to express herself to seeing myself in these portraits. And what was, what was it like to step into the canvas? You know, what, why did I pick some of these paintings on a subconscious level, uh, what was it about them that spoke to me? I realized that a lot of the subjects of the portraits were sort of, um, they were either like opposite me uh, in terms of their ornamentation or just that, I don't know, there was something about them that felt like I was actually like putting on a, I was putting on a mask. Mm -hmm. And in some cases it was like stepping into a mirror um, of somebody who I was or somebody who I'd thought I was and kind of really peeling that apart and, and figuring out where, where that was coming from and, and, where that, and where that ended up too. Just writing from the vantage point of someone who's now 49, um, writing about my adolescence, um, thinking about the 16 year old who was yeah. trying to figure out, it's very, it was very tender, you know, it was very tender to go back, to go back and, and Re reconsider my childhood and my adolescence through that lens. Yeah. And I was happy, happy to have the opportunity to do that. The other thing I got a chance to get a peek at is how we are not alone. This is, is this your most recent book of poetry? Um, I guess it's a, yeah, it's, a, it's my most recent um, kind of bigger collection of collection collection. Yeah. I've put out um, through Toad Hall editions, which I know we'll talk about a little later. Um, yeah. I've kind of been accumulating, I've putting it, started putting out these very short uh, collections of these 10 line poems. 
-hmm. and they're, oh, okay. they're centered around the theme. So the first one I did uh, recently in the last couple months, um, it's called Feeding the Sea Monkeys, which is the title of one of my 10 line poems. And they're sort of poems about motherhood or mothering. Okay. Um, so that is like the most sort of up-to-date little uh, collection. But How We Are Not Alone, yeah, I put that out in 2012 and that was a compilation okay. of poems from my blog that I kept at the time and uh, various other kind of a scatter of poems. Yeah, I, I enjoyed going through um, just a quick reading. I'm looking forward to going back and spending some time with a few of the pieces though. You know, I, I was touching, and I and I wonder probably because I had been reading um, Louise Gluck, and I've been reading uh, Joan Kenyon, and I would recognize not those in the poetry, but mm -hmm. the 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 sound of the voice as far as cadence and subject matter, and just this this beautiful acknowledgement of life even from the smallest most mundane thing to maybe the more grand but it, it it you honor you honor experience and you honor the small things as well as the big things and i i appreciated that did you when you set out to put this together did you have everything done or did you kind of was this something that became a project you wanted to bring to fruition i think does that, that does that make sense yeah absolutely um I'm kind of, you know, I'm really a believer in celebrating work uh, and, and, and being able to close a chapter and celebrate the chapter that, it, that you're closing. And around the, I guess about a year before I published this book, um, I decided to, and to, to stop um, posting on my blog. I had, was keeping a poetry blog called Be Here Now, I think at one point, and then I called it One Paragraph at a Time and another point. And I realized that so much of the, I, I just felt this tremendous pressure to keep keep it up. You know, there was this sort of metrics at the bottom of the page that tells you how many posts, mm -hmm. that you, how many posts you've uploaded every month. And I was seeing my numbers diminish, diminish, diminish. I thought, you know, clearly something is happening here where I'm not, I'm not motivated to, to write these poems in this space anymore. And so the book really came out of this decision to to shut it down and to co just collect the poems that I had, um, that I had, you know, not all of them, but, you know, make a decision about the poems that I wanted to include in the book and just kind of formalize the closing of this chapter. It, feel, it just felt like I was, I'm ready to move on to whatever's next with my, my writing. It's not going to be here. And so I'd like to just put what's here and make it something I can hold in my hands. Uh, because it was, of course, living in a digital, you know, a virtual space. Mm, right. And so that's something that I talk about a lot with uh, some of the folks I work with um, and mentor is just, it's okay to, you know, you don't have to wait until who knows what, until someone says, oh, okay, now, now, you, now you're ready. What if you decide that you're ready to close or formalize or somehow encapsulate um, a collection of writing in some in some in a book form or in some kind of printed form. This is why I just moved into sort of this realm of self-publishing because I just wanted it now. I wanted I wanted to do it now or as soon as possible. So I love you know I just love the freedom of that. Um, but I appreciate what you said, Susan, about this sort of you know the small the sort of the small 
incremental noticings of life. You know, the, this is what's been a real gift about of writing for me is this way of slowing time down, of slowing, of slowing experience down, of looking, looking at things really at eye level um, where they are. You know, if it's if it's a little seedling on the ground, you know, to get down on the ground and look at it. If it's, you know, a mountain to look at, you know, it's whatever whatever the subject is, uh, and even a personal experience to allow myself to slow my gaze and to lower my gaze and to to really just be with something and and let it let it talk to me. I think that's one of the hardest but most rewarding aspects of a creative practice is that if you allow yourself to kind of soften your gaze and let the work that wants to come forward meet you it you can't it, it doesn't lie it, it won't lie to you you can try you know when you we sort of superimpose superimpose our demands on our work or our idea of what it should look like i'm talking with someone now about just the use of language altogether just the ornamentation of language and this this um, fear that she has that if she uses simple words, um, it she won't sound smart or she won't sound, you know, like if her poetry is made up of simple words, it's going to be simple. And that's really not the case. I think when we pair our language back, we sort of pair all the ornamentation back. What we have is is honesty. Um, what we have is is a real opportunity to be with and experience in its in its bald you know truth in its bare mm -hmm. honesty. So um, I think that's part of the practice I've had, and through and through actually kind of putting this book together. And when I think about it, was and selecting the poems that are in it. It's like which poems am I really like really tell me the truth about something? Um, I think a lot of the poems I wrote in college, for example, I was pretending to be a poet. You know, there was just this feeling of like, I'm going to make it sound super complicated and that's going to make me a poet. And so I've had to unlearn a lot of my own myths about what good writing is, what it, what it means, what it means to write something that's really true and really um, free of artifice. So I, I'm, I'm glad that you're your first contact with the book has is carrying is carrying that well i think i think part of part of recognizing when there is a more simple voice not an uncomplicated voice that's different mm -hmm. but the simpler approach to it the slowing down the looking um we're just bombarded constantly with information and you know instagram and facebook which i ditched five years ago and i don't miss it a bit you know and even twitter i have moved away from because it's just this constant barrage of you know more 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 faster 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 and you know you wake up one day and really the past week has been a blur and what have you seen what have you touched what have you tasted what have you experienced um, and so to find the quieter place, uh, the, the voice that slows things down and speaks to you very clearly is refreshing. I love that. Well, thank you. I, um, I got a lot of mileage out of Susan Cain's book called Quiet. I think uh, I'm 
a self-proclaimed introvert. I mean, I would not, I'm not shy about saying that I'm at all. Raise, I, I'm raising my hand. I am an introvert. Um, and you very know, much. <laughs> and what the book kind of affirmed for me was, I mean, the subtitle is the power of introverts. And I think the power of introverts in an extroverted world or something. And I think it's really important to remember that, that, that when you are quiet, when you are slowing down, when you are looking at something with a micro attention, it is incredibly valuable to the world and how the world works because we can't have, we can't operate constantly in a, in a space of stimulus and noise. We can't, we can't absorb and reflect and metabolize things at that speed and at that volume. Yeah. And aren't we raising, aren't we raising a community and a society to think that that's the way it is? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the, it's been really interesting to work, you know, with such different age groups too. Like I, you know, when I've done workshops, I've had kids in my workshops and um, various traveling projects that Amy and I have done have involved both kids and older adults. And in both those situations, um, there is absolutely a place of overwhelm. Um, somebody who's not used to, somebody who's just programmed differently, who's just, who, who really values their solitude or who values the silence and the spaces between things, who needs extra, not even extra, because what's, that's even a value judgment to say, oh, they need extra time. It's like, <laughs> just, they need the time they need, right? And yeah. I think it's hard to, it's hard, it, it, I don't know, sometimes it's hard to gather the lesson when we live in a world that rewards big, big noise and big mm -hmm. move and, you know, big imprints, that's the value of really connecting to what matters to us, that we, we have to really consider our own ecosystem um, first, you know, what is a value and what is life giving in our own ecosystem? What, what is generative? What is nourishing? And then we can offer ourselves to the larger. But if we forget that first part of what, what are we connected to? How are we staying connected? What matters to us? Then, then we're sort of useless in terms of our, the, the, kind, of, the kind of offer we can make. So if, if we can get closer to the truth of who we are and be in, relationship, in right relationship with that, then that, that changes everything. Uh, I could talk about this all day. <laughs> Uh, I, I would like to move on, though, to talk about your new adventure called Toad Hall Editions. Yeah. And you alluded to that with your um, with your book, Feeding the Sea Monkeys. What inspired this? I mean, it, I I heard it kind of come through as our conversation grew. What inspired this? And how did you take that step just to to go ahead and go for it? Sure. Well, you know, it's kind of a perfect storm of pandemic reflection. You know, we've had all this time to be with, be at home and be thinking about what it is that we want to be doing. I mean, this is, we're talking the, the, the royal we, the collective we. Sure. Um, you know, everybody's had this opportunity to, to just slow down a little and whatever that's revealed to them is what it's revealed to them. I think what it's revealed to me uh, or what's happened as part of the experience of being at home is um, uh, our good friend, Liz Kallick, who's a designer, 
a book designer and web designer, really wonderful, also fine artist. She came to live here. She she escaped the wildfires of Northern California. Oh, okay. And was just kind of coming for a visit and has and has stayed. Um, and so she's been here for about nine months. And Amy and I have worked with Liz before uh, in designing our, our books. Um, she helped, uh, she was the designer of the Grief Becomes You collection that I did a couple years ago. Amy is a, a collage artist and embroidery artist um, and had and put out a book of collage work a couple of years ago that Liz designed. And so Liz being here was kind of like the, the logical next step was to, was to kind of pool all of our resources, our, you know, our creative strengths and um, see what we could put together. I think the impetus behind it was very much in line with the work that we've just been doing separately, which is to um, help people sh show up, you know, and, and, and be, and be heard and allow them the, you know, give them the sort of the tools or the, the space or the, the witnessing to do that. And so our goal is to publish um, up to three books a year. We're just working with uh, women artists and gender diverse artists and writers um, to, put, to put out books. And then we're also doing a couple of literary journals, one for once, uh, twice a year, will come out twice a year. It's called Kerning. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a, call it a space for words. And that's going to be for adults. And then we have a we're, we're going to have a literary journal for kids called Butter Toast. And oh, cute. Um, I love it. Toad Hall Editions. The name is actually comes out of the name of the house that we live in. It was nicknamed Toad Hall by the previous owner and her children because they loved Wind in the Willows. And so, and Butter Toast. There's a quote in Wind in the Willows about Butter Toast. So that's why that's why that that name is there. And um, our, the goal is to really publish work that doesn't fit into traditional publishing categories or, you know, the, the, the limitations of traditional publishers. So our hope is we, we call it the liminal space, you know, the, the, the places where writers don't necessarily can't really identify where their work should go or who's going to accept it or what, you know, there may be pushed to create a form that isn't actually in line with what the writing is actually doing. And so that's the, that's sort of our, a very long winded way of <laughs> talking about the kind of work that we're going to be looking for in publishing. That's such an exciting thing though, um, to, to, to recognize a need and to fill it. It, it takes guts for one thing, but you did have that opportunity of uninterrupted space mm -hmm. to get three creative minds together to create something really great. And I'm excited to see what happens for you guys. Thank you. I think, I think a lot about legacies, you know, um, I did not have my own children. And I think in some ways, uh, in my heart, in my mind, in my, you know, in my spirit, I'm, I'm leaving children behind, mm. you know, my every poem, every creative project, every decision is really in, is trying to be in service of, of this legacy of what is, what is it, you know, what is it that I'm leaving behind? If no one is, if no one will survive me to tell my stories, if no one will kind of carry, carry the torch, I'd like, I want my work to speak, to speak to that. 
And I want the projects I do to speak to that. And it's, I, you know, it's not a conscious thing all the time. It's just more an awareness of that. There's no time to screw around here. You know, there's no time right. to second guess. It's like, this is it, Maya. And um, what, with, with that, if, if I, I don't know, I, when I'm working with, with people a lot, I say, you know, is anyone really paying attention? You know, when they, when they talk about being worried about, oh, what if my work doesn't, you know, what if so-and-so reads my work or what if, oh, maybe I should have a blog because, or maybe I should do this. It's a lot of shoulds. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I really don't, whether or not this is comforting, it's comforting to me to think, well, no one's really paying attention. I mean, everyone is dealing with their own stuff. Uh, maybe there's a few people out there that have enough bandwidth to really sort of, you know, put their, put their eyes on something. But for the most part, I operate as if I'm completely off the radar of anyone else because it frees up my decision-making and right. it completely removes a layer of, uh, of overthinking, of overconcern mm -hmm. over how it's going to land. And um, I mean, it, that may not be a smart thing to do, but it's, um, it's just what I, it's what I do, you know, it's just how, what helps me make decisions quickly about projects. I don't really spend a lot of time second guessing if my heart is, is awake and alive and in, and in, in right relationship with something, then I know that it's something I have to do. I think when you free yourself up, I like when you say that you free yourself up from, <laughs> The shoulds. I don't know if it's Brene Brown that says, you know, stop shitting all over yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the greatest line. But mm -hmm. when you do take that, it's a heavy burden to carry around, you know, all these things you quote unquote should be doing or, um, or seeing yourself through the expectations of someone else. When you can lift that off and put it away, you can breathe deeper and you can move forward a lot easier than you know, well, what about this? What about this? What about they? Well, there's always going to be the what abouts, right? What if you just did it? And I love that you just jumped right in. Well, you know, I, this reminds me of that phrase, golden handcuffs, you know, when people, mm. you know, uh, they have trouble leaving a job, for example, because of the benefits or the stability and it's like the golden handcuffs. And, you know, those people might say, oh, if, if I, if money weren't an issue, I would, you know, fill in the blank. If money weren't an issue, um, if I could travel anywhere, you know, whatever. Um, I think sometimes those golden handcuffs, I mean, they're, they're, they are golden, uh, because they, they do offer some stability, but really if they remove us from our, the the heart, you know, if the heart is not in it, um, it's, uh, it's not that it's not a value, but it's not a, it's not going to be meaningful. Um, and I think, you know, we can get, we can get both trapped by, we can, we can think that we're trapped when it's really w us doing the trapping, you know, we, mm -hmm. we are sort of, I think that this, it's very easy to sort of say, well, I really shouldn't do that because, or I can't do that because I'm always interested in the why not. That's where yeah. I, that's where I live in the why not. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, it's a great place to be. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Maya, thank you. I want to have people find you. So tell me where they can find your work, share your 
your um, your web presence, your social mm -hmm. media, any place they can get in touch with you? Sure. Um, well, my website is mayastein.com, M-A-Y-A-S-T-E-I-N.com. I've got actually a back, a, quite a long backlog of 10 Line Tuesday poems there. Um, folks can sign up for my 10 Line Tuesday newsletter there, so the poems will come each week in their inbox. And then Toad Hall Editions, our new publishing venture, is toadhalleditions.ink. And that's where there's more information about, you know, submissions and upcoming projects and things like that. So those are good places to go. And um, on Instagram, I am on Instagram. It's just my name, Maya Stein. And I, I like to do, lately I've been published, I've been posting a lot of, um, uh, I call them, a, it's a daily short list. And I've just been starting I, for about a couple months now, I've been writing these uh, post-it notes with just three things on them and, and trying to figure out what, how they're related. Uh, you know, like what's what's the binding agent between them, and and they're and they're sort of disparate, disparate things usually. So, I can tell you, uh, this latest one is a short list of inevitabilities, and it's death, taxes, and bug bites in places you can't reach to scratch. So it's <laughs> things like that. The first two are usually like, oh yeah, of course, and then the, the third one is like the opportunity to kind of, to kind of swing wide. So, oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, Maya, thank you so much. It has been just absolutely delightful to spend a few moments getting to know you. Um, I am deeply appreciative to Amy who reached out to me about having you on the show. And I said, I said yes, pretty quickly. Um, and it was just, no, you did. Just, thank you for that. Just fun to get to know somebody new, get to know some new work and uh, introduce you to a broader audience and I wish you all the best luck. Um, as, as I close out, I like to ask, is there a question you wish someone would ask in an interview or what's the missing question that you think should be asked more often? Oh, that's such a, that's such a great question. I'm really very curious about origin stories, about how we became the people that we are. What was it, if we can trace back to childhood, what, is there a moment, is there something that, is there something that happened that you can say, ah, that's, that's where I was. What, what would that, what would that moment have been? I would love to be asked that question. Well, what is that <laughs> moment for you, Maya? <laughs> I'll turn it right back on you. Okay. What is All that right. moment for you? So the very first thing that comes to mind was the very first uh, bike accident I was in when I was five. And I was, I have actually a photograph of myself. Somebody took it writing down. I don't know if it was the exact same day that this happened, but I was riding down on my bicycle, uh, this pretty crazy down or, you know, probably from the vantage point of a five-year-old, it was a pretty crazy downhill. And I was just going too fast. And it was for the first short while, just exhilarating. And then there was a point where I was like, oh my God, I am totally not in control here. <laughs> and um, so it's two things. It's like the feeling of that exhilaration and the feeling of being so in my body that I was totally confident with myself. That's part one. The second part is the accident, what happened after the accident, which was, or as the accident was happening, which is like, you know, fell over my handlebars and burst into tears and screamed. And people came 
and the second, so the second part is I, I know when to ask for help. I am not doing it alone. I am not suffering through my life. I don't want to, I don't believe in suffering through my life. I want company. I want witnesses. I want help. Um, it helps make everything better to, to know that you are not alone. So I would say that would be a pretty signature moment in my, in my childhood that sort of speaks to both, both things. Oh, that's great. And with that, we'll pull this to a close and I wish you a great day. Thank you again. Thank you, Susan. It's been such, such a wonderful time with you. Appreciate it. Please find Maya on Instagram at Maya Stein, online at mayastein.com, and follow Toad Hall Editions to stay up to date on what's coming next. That's it for today's episode of Poet Kind Podcast. We're settling into a summer schedule here, and while chaos seems to reign supreme, there are always pockets of time to sit down, breathe, and have a great conversation. I hope you are able to make space for the things that matter, not social media, not the crazy distractions that steal our focus. Look for those deeper conversations. Get to know your neighbors. Reach out to that person you've always wanted to meet or talk to. The stories that are out there really are the stories we share, but we'll never find them if we don't take the time to pay attention, slow down, and take the next step. Thank you for joining me today. Poet Kind is a place to discover poetry and enjoy great conversations with the people who create it. I also enjoy sitting down with other creatives to unpack how and why they do what they do. Getting to know someone and talking with them about what brings them to life is a great way to build understanding and make the world a kinder place. We need to stop comparing ourselves. Compare notes, yes, to uncover what makes us who we are and remind us that we are more alike than we realize. Until next time, be kind to each other. Do whatever it is that makes you come alive. Write, paint, plant, sing, whatever it is, bring it into the world and make it a better place.